Going to the gym can make some folks want to shout hallelujah. In a world that often positions the body as sinful, taking the time to build muscle can shift you into a spiritual place that connects you with the swole divine. Let's grow big together. The podcast that asks for forgiveness on its cheat days as we forgive those who curl in the squat rack. I'm Fausto Fernos. And I'm Mark Fillion. In this series, we're taking a look at the passion for muscle, the incredible journey of bodybuilding, muscle gods, and muscle worship. Literally. Today, bodybuilder, queer Christian, and ordained minister, Father Ethan Jewett, joins us to talk about the spiritual connection between building muscle and creating queer space in places where it doesn't normally happen. Best known on Instagram as the Jacked Priest, Father Jewett turned to bodybuilding as a way to connect with his spirituality and his identity as a gay man. Plus, the 80s bodybuilding televangelist, The Power Team, and the motto, God's Gym, His Pain is Your Game. And delicious, protein-rich pancake recipes that are sure to pack on the muscle. Let's grow big together. And all the fabulous podcasts made by Feast of Fun are made possible because of legendary listeners just like you. For an ad-free experience, access our full catalog of over 3,000 shows on our website, feastoffun.com slash plus, or follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash feastoffun. Need help with your bodybuilding? Hire me to consult with you to get to the next level. Message me, Fausto Fernos, directly on Instagram, and for 99 bucks, I'll talk to you one-on-one on the phone and answer every question, every single question your heart desires. Hey there. Hi, is this the Reverend Ethan Alexander Jewett? It is. How very lofty that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Let's grow big together. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm Fausto. And I'm Mark. How are you doing, guys? And I got I, you used to live in Chicago. I did, yeah. You and I have been going, working alongside each other for probably 20 years. I know I noticed that on your Instagram. I realized that the uh, backdrop looked mighty familiar in your pics. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I always thought, you know, you always have the most fantastic body physique. And then I started like uh, reading your posts and discovering you. You're a priest, an Episcopalian priest. I am, yes. You're not the first jacked up bodybuilding priest that I've met, but you're the only one that I know of that is still practicing. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I, I also uh, met another one in, in Canada, and he had an amazing uh, protein pancakes recipe. <laughs> Fantastic. Let me get a copy of that. Yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, Catholic priests know how to make pancakes. Okay. Know, and right. a bodybuilding priest knows how to make awesome protein pancakes. I bet. What, what did you have for breakfast today? You know, I am remarkably predictable. I usually have some form of egg dish. Either I always have three eggs and a couple of slices of keto or protein toast. So this morning, I actually had a bit more time because it's a weekend, so I made an omelet. But usually, I just make like three eggs over easy and uh, and a couple of uh, slices of protein toast and some fruit. So, so it's a protein-rich uh, breakfast to sort of get you started on the day. And, you know, yeah. of course, eggs are, unlock the, the – they're the gateway to muscle building. 
Yeah, and also I'm hungry all the time. I mean, cutting season, bulking season, I'm hungry all the time. So you actually bulk and cut throughout the year. I do, yeah. Yeah. How does that work? What do you mean? How does it work? Like, what's the process? Yeah, or? I, do, do, are you like six months hard eating, then six months like lean, or how does it go? You know, I have to say, I'm probably not as methodical as some of the gym bros that I see uh, on social media. I, I really am, I guess, a little just more attuned to where my body is. Mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of people who say, "Oh, you need to count your, you know, your macros and all that stuff." I don't really do that. I'm too lazy to do that. To be quite honest with you, I really have. I really do it more by you know, by I, you know, and I, I kind of look at my body and I'm like, Oh, I think I've been eating too many carbs. Okay. I need to pare that down. So I kind of refine it that way. I mean, I've been le- lifting for 33 years, you know, so I've kind of gotten used to the way my body works. What started your interest in bodybuilding? Was that something in high school or in college that you're involved in sports or was that more of a reaction to wanting to see a muscular physique on your body? The way it started was uh, in high school, I was really picked on. I was bullied by kids. They would put me in PE classes with these hulking guys. And I was this tiny little, you know, scrawny guy and I would get pulverized. And I did not have a dad who could teach me like the rules for team sports, like football and all that kind of stuff. And so it wasn't until I went to college and I discovered weightlifting, you know, I I wandered into the weight room at at college and I saw these, you know, gym bros working out and I just started watching them. And imitating what they were doing. And I realized that, you know, I could actually be athletic and make my own goals for myself without being worried about being made fun of for screwing up a team sport or letting the team down or not knowing the rules and the rest of it. And it just stuck with me. And it's been my constant companion my entire adult life. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, as gay men, we're sort of like excluded from the the benefits of organized sports or team sports. And so for us, sometimes it's really great to, you know, discover bodybuilding because you are your own teammate. (laughs) And so when you fail, you're failing yourself too, right? Yeah. And, you know, there was, I think it's, it's less, um, I think it's, it's, it's less um, shaming to be able to just set your own goals and to readjust them without having to sort of check in with what other people are doing. Like I had coaches, you know, earlier on in my life who, who are really kind of vicious about like, you're letting the team down and you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, you know, to hell with this. I do not need this in my life, right? Like yeah. my life is stressful enough. You know, I took that up as a way of, of kind of focusing my own energy. And, and it really built up my self-confidence to realize that I could actually create amazing gains by setting my own goals instead of uh, measuring myself against some other person's unrealistic standards. I mean, I'm, I'm a small guy. I'm like, I have, you know, small bones. I'm like five, eight on a good day. I'm not like some <laughs> six foot two hulking 210 pound behemoth. No, but I mean, just as, uh, as a testament here, cause I've seen you at the gym and you definitely with clothes or without, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, like when you're dressed up as a priest or when you're just wearing a t-shirt and shorts and stuff, you, your, your, your biceps and your chest and your shoulders are definitely straining against your clothes and you can tell this is a guy who's muscular who lifts weights yes and so i was always curious like you know here you're going working as a priest and you're delivering sermons and you're providing spiritual guidance and organizational guidance not just to your church but also these nonprofit organizations that you're an executive director for 
and people right. see you sort of building more muscle as time passes by and they're just like damn my my priest is fine you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean i will yeah. say that i i do uh buck the norm for most clergy most clergy that i know are not in great shape they don't eat well and you know my my goal is is not really to be provocative i mean i know you know as a gay man i know we always kind of you know, rub against the grain of heteronormative standards and the rest of it. But really, I mean, for me, you know, I, I was lifting way before I even became a Christian, even before I was baptized in my early 30s. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's always just been, as a priest and as a person, has been to, to model authenticity. You know, like, this is who I am. You know, I'm upfront about who I am, and I'm trying to model that to other people so that they can be fully authentic about who they are. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're, you're also creating space for queer people in spaces that don't normally exist at the gym, at your work, in your congregation, in your faith. Well, that's what I hope to do, yeah. certainly. And, and, and you're doing that, though. I mean, that's your, definitely in your intent and you're in, in you know, many ways you're succeeding at that. Well, I mean, one of the things that I think I've been especially mm -hmm. um, mindful of is to defy stereotypes. I know people have stereotypes about the clergy in general. And, uh, you know, and people are, you know, I get DMs from people on Instagram all the time saying, God, I had no idea that you could be a person of faith and be a bodybuilder and be fully gay, like be a normal gay guy. And I'm like, you know, I, I will say that the church, even at its best, doesn't make it easy. Yeah. But I do think it's really important to be who you are all the time instead of trying to bend yourself into a pretzel to fit other people's expectations of you. Well, I mean, like for communion, are you taking whey protein and like, you know, pre-workout? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, yeah. it's standard fare. I, I, don't, I don't really... I don't real. I'm not an innovator in that way. <laughs> you're, you're not like turning to your uh, to your congregation and says, "Swole father, who arms are heavy, huge no. be thy frame." Thy no, although I <laughs> yeah. did actually hear a story from a, a, yeah. a priest mentor of mine who went to a Jesuit university and told me that some of the Jesuit priests there were doing communion with Oreos and whiskey, and I thought that was a very interesting theological discussion to have. <laughs> oh, wow. What, what are they doing? Uh, communion with what? Oreos and whiskey. With whiskey and Oreos instead of, you know, wafers and wine. So I don't know what that was about, but... Well, explain you know, this to me because, I, like, you know, I, I, I was baptized in the Episcopalian Church, but for me, like, mm -hmm. the Christian faith feels as much... Um, as unusual as it would Hinduism or Shintoism, right? So isn't the whole point of communion that what you're partaking is a symbol for connecting with the divine? And so therefore that symbol should not be something decadent. It should be something humble. It's supposed to be bread. And bread it and be wine. Unleavened bread. It is unleavened. supposed to be bread and wine. And because bread right. and wine are staples, yeah. or were staples, right, in ancient Israelite society, and they're considered to be, yes, I mean, very simple uh, things. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but I, you know, I, I guess the, the notion is that, you know, what would you do in parts of the world where bread and wine are not either normative or easily attainable? Right? How yeah. would you adapt to that? I guess that's the deeper theological argument, but that's kind of a 
I think a discussion for a different day. Yeah. I mean, could you, you like uh, do communion a, right. with like caviar and you know uh, balut and champagne? Or I mean, at no, what point, I mean, you know? no, you know, it might surprise you to love that. I'm in some, you know, in some ways, in certain things, I'm very traditional, yeah. right? In terms of like how I celebrate the Eucharist and my beliefs about certain fundamental things like baptism and and communion and things like that. Uh, even though I may, you know, embody the priesthood in a way that's unconventional. You describe as going to ch- uh, you know your your temple, and th- this is something like you know you hear this on uh, bodybuilding forums and talk. You know, I think part of it is a tongue in cheek. Uh, they call sure. it the uh, bodybuilder's prayer. Yeah. So it's a uh, rewriting of the traditional Christian prayer, and it says, uh, "Let me read it to you in its entirety." Okay. Swole father, who arms are heavy, <laughs> huge be thy frame. Thy PRs come, thy workouts done, while gaining as well as cutting. Give us this day a mighty deadlift and forgive us for our cheat days as we forgive those who curl in the squat rack. Lead us not into functional training, but deliver us from weakness. For thine is the squat, the deadlift, and the bench forever and ever. Way men. Oh, my God. There, There are so many levels of heresy there that I can't even begin to fathom. But I appreciate the the mindfulness and the devotion that's probably behind that. But even if the words are different, isn't the idea they're still the same? You're asking for forgiveness, you're giving forgiveness, and you're translating the spirit of that message to other people so it makes sense. Yeah, you know, I mean, like one of the things I would say, especially about the Uh Episcopal brand of Christianity, is that it does focus very much on embodiment and the notion of the incarnation. It's a mystery that, you know, God became man and the person of the Christ child, right? Mm -hmm. And so, because there's this notion of embodiment, that we are meant to live out our embodiedness in particular ways. And so, you know, for me, what it comes down to is, you know, really tapping into the power within the body as a, I guess, as a, uh, as a source of gratitude, right? Like I say all the time, you know, why, why do I post on Instagram? It's not just because I'm narcissistic, although, you know, I might be a little bit, but I think it's mostly about the fact that when I'm 80, I want to be able to look back and say, I achieved that, you know, at the point when I'm no longer able to lift, I can look back on, you know, the decades that I lifted and said, you know, this is something that I achieved for myself that was empowering, that was affirming, that allowed me to get through a lot of the struggles in my life, right? And and that's in some ways a legacy that I would like to leave. Because it's interesting, you know, in terms of like Christianity and its faith, uh, you know, big aspect of it is sort of transcending the body, you know, transcending the, the earth. Yeah, yeah. And you here know, you are I, like putting so much, uh, you know, emphasis on your body. And I always tell people it's like, you know, lift for those who can't lift anymore, who are no longer yeah, here. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I always, I, so I have a prayer that I say, uh, I have a prayer that I say before I begin lifting and a prayer that I say after lifting as, as you know, uh, an, an affirmation or a articulation of gratitude, right? That, that I'm able to do these things because not everybody is able to do those things. Right. And, and, you know, that this whole notion that the body is evil or sinful or whatever, you know, harkens back to the early days of the faith um, and not even just Christianity, but other ancient Near Eastern religions that, you know, the Gnostics and Manichaeans and stuff that saw that there was this binary opposition between everything that was 
mortal and physical, and that was evil, and everything that was spiritual and that was holy. And that has carried through to our own day, right? So we, you know, the church has done an amazing job of stigmatizing anything relating to the body, calling it dirty or sinful or, you know, or problematic or whatever you want to call it. And I think that we need to do a, a lot of work to correct that because it has damaged a lot of people, right? It's, it's stigmatized a lot of bodies, uh, queer bodies, women's bodies, disabled bodies, you name it. And our healthcare system too, you know, the idea of becoming sick, you know, is you're, you're not clean. Like, well, you're being punished. Yes. Yeah, ex- right. There was this notion that physical illness was somehow a punishment for our mor- moral failings, right? Mm. Which is mm-hmm. just an abominable notion. Mm. Uh, you know, Reverend Ethan, uh, I, I just think that's such a beautiful thing that you're doing is sort of like trying to steer this mighty vessel of culture and faith and religion away from this harmful mindset and into one that's really, you know, asset driven. How do you do that? Uh, how how do you even go about doing that to ch- changing people's thoughts about their body in a in a tradition, in a faith that has had such negative connotations with the body? Well, you know, I would say, I mean, first of all, to be fair, my own denomination is pretty progressive and forward-thinking. The Episcopal Church is, but it's still pretty heteronormative, and there are still ways in which that heteronormativity uh, tends to uh, dominate, right? And so, you know, there's there's still this notion of, you know, modesty and, you know, kind of putting uh, everything under wraps. And, you know, my feeling is that if the body really is a gift from God and that's to be used in God's service, then why are we necessarily stigma, you know, hiding it away as if it were something shameful, right? And, you know, some, I know so many guys that lift and some of them very um, faith-filled and some of them not, but, you know, one of the common, I, I think the commonalities is that there's a sense of empowerment that comes from this and the notion that, you know, anybody who's been lifting for a while knows how much you know, you can turn on a dime, like you could have one injury that could set you back, you know, for months and months and months. You know, we, I think we have an appreciation for our fragility as well as our strength, right? When we lift, right? I mean, maybe we had, you know, I had a, a shoulder injury got over a dozen years ago, right? That took me out of commission for a while because I was uh, overheading, um, I was doing a, a overhead a dumbbell shoulder press and one of my shoulders got out of alignment and I ripped a tendon. It was terrible. Ouch. Yes. Ouch. And, you know, I learned my lesson. I don't do that exercise anymore uh, without um, sport, but, uh, and I developed my rear delts too. Um, But, you know, it's, you know, if you engage in that type of lifting, you are aware of how fragile you really are. I mean, despite all of the pretensions for strength and, you know, um, power and, and, you know, mastery and the rest of it. So, Mm I, I do think that it it is about um, recognizing the importance of kind of humility when you when you take on this lifestyle, and it is a way of life. Well, I mean, when you're like taking a risky lift, are you like saying Satan be gone? <laughs> it's like get out of here. You have no I place wouldn't exactly in the squat say rack. that. <laughs> I wouldn't exactly say that. Although I will say. Yeah. Uh, that I often go to the gym when I'm going through periods of strife and stress uh-huh. to process my emotions. Like it is a, I mean, I have anxiety and ADHD, uh, and I tend to have stressful jobs. And uh, going to the gym is very um, therapeutic. It's self care. It is self care. Yeah. It is. I mean, I 
you know, my Saturday ritual is I go to the gym for a couple of hours and I just process the stress from the previous week, right? And, and I always feel better. I mean, physiologically, I mean, there's obviously things that happen as well as mentally and emotionally. And I feel that it resets me for the rest of the week. So, you know, I've learned that, you know, as much as I am inclined to not go to the gym when I'm feeling especially dreadful, I force myself to go to the gym because I know I will feel better. It well, will, it you will know, I had a yoga instructor tell me it's like the best you can do is either leave exactly the way you came in or slightly better. Yeah, right. You know, and I and I and I laugh because I, I was doing that recently yeah. uh, this week. I was just in a horrible, horrible mood. I'm like, I'm going to make myself go to the gym. I don't want to do this. <clears throat> you know, I went and I and as I left the gym, you know, an hour and a half, two hours later. I sort of laughed. I'm like, I do feel better, right? Like this does work and it's worked my entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great stress reliever. Do you, do you get a lot of pushback from your congregation or, or peers or even other faiths? Like I, I imagine that somebody looks at, you know, who's very conservative or wanting to sway your faith, you know, Episcopalians into a conservative mindset would look at you and, and feel you very threatened by you. Um. I think, uh, well, for, fortunately, uh, my congregations have been pretty good. I'm, yeah. I'm in between congregations now because I moved. I relocated to Philadelphia, mm-hmm. so I don't, uh, I won't have another congregation until uh, towards the end of the year. I think is the way things are going now. Um, my last congregation was very supportive. They knew who I was. They really, I think, they got me. You know, they really understood me. I will say that you know I tend to be far more, quote unquote, embodied than most clergy that I know. And I do push the boundaries a bit. And so I have gotten some pushback from, you know, the church at large. Um, but, by, you know, by and large, I think if people really engage with me in a substantive way, rather than just sort of stereotyping me, I think, you know, I think they they're, they're, they appreciate that there's really integrity and thought behind why I do what I do. Um, I will say, of course, that on Instagram, I do get haters all the time. And I'm actually going to be doing a real um, soon that kind of profiles some of the hateful comments that I get and to balance that against a lot of the very helpful comments that I get and very affirming comments that I get for people who are, who have been, uh, battered by religion, who have been, who have had uh, religion used to denigrate them because of who they are, who they love, you know, how they identify. Well, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, I think the best way we can approach all these kind of things is really learn from you know, a great master, which is Fred Rogers, who was a Presbyterian <laughs> minister. Yes. yes. And, you know, he never talked about his faith really. I mean, uh, 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 you know, how does it, um, in, in the forefront, every lesson he taught was about unconditional love. Yeah. And, and part of that was, you know, his mission to creating television that was wholesome and, you know, slowed down the pace that was listening and compassion oriented, mm-hmm. unconventional. Right. And and it is interesting that, you know, as somebody who he was very much invested in, you know, faith circles and he was a registered Republican <laughs> and towards the end of his life, you know, he was very much rejected by conservatives and Republicans and even people in his own faith um, for, you know, they they were saying that Fred Rogers ruined the generation of, of kids by by ha- giving them the appetite for unconditional love to be you celebrated know, for just who they are. 
Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing about Fred Rogers that I think is really important is that, you know, Fred Rogers didn't change. Fred Rogers was completely consistent. He was, yeah. he showed integrity uh, to his identity and his mission throughout his life. And it was the culture or the party, if you will, around him that changed that he was no longer in sync with. So that really has more to, it has a lot more to say about, you know, the party that's criticizing him or the world that's criticizing him than right. Fred Rogers himself, because Fred Rogers was always who he was and he knew who he was and he, his message was always very consistent. Well, and he's also like fighting against racism. He's fighting against, you Absolutely. know, body shaming, uh, the yeah. song, uh, you know, everybody's, uh, what is it? Uh, everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's perfect. And so is mine. And he, yeah. uh, every day <laughs> he that. would go swimming every single day of his life to the, to like a week before he died, he was swimming every single morning in, in a gym, in a swimming pool, you know? And, 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 and part of me, it's like, it's, it's, it's so important. Like, uh, you know, as I, as I get older and we do this podcast and we sort of, uh, speak to people out there, um, you know, and a podcast is in some ways like a church service is just, you know, a different, the, the message is the same. The format changes, right? Sure. And, and part of it is like, it's not just enough to tell people to fearlessly be yourself. It's also important to tell them to relentlessly, ruthlessly pursue your dreams. Well, not ruthless. That's evil. <laughs> well, oh, that is? Well, un yes. Unswervingly. Unswervingly. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, I mean, to your point, yes. I don't think it's just about telling people that. I think it's about modeling that. Modeling it. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's, you know, it's obviously going to incite pushback from people who are trying to take us backwards or who don't agree with your worldview. And, you know, like for me, I've always said, you know, a girl, live your life. You know, you only have one life to live live it the way you should, you know, I'm getting to an age where, you know, I've stopped caring largely about what other people think, you know, I could be better about that, but I've gotten to the point where I think, you know what, this doesn't matter so much anymore. Like I'm not answerable to all these other haters out mm -hmm. there who may have a particular worldview that just doesn't matter to me. It just doesn't, it just doesn't uh, cohere with the way I see God or way, the way I see humanity or the way I see the world. How do you deal with haters on Instagram or social media? Are they like saying, my faith is the one true faith? Or like they're insulting you or attacking you based on your muscles and be like, he's just on steroids. I would say that most of the negativity is around religion. It's it, Well, first of yeah. all, some people mistake me for a Catholic priest. And I'm like, you know what? Not my circus, not my monkeys, right? Uh, <laughs> I am not a Roman Catholic priest. We have completely different rules. So, you know, not my baggage, right? Um, so, and, and, you know, a lot of them will say things like, you know, you know, they'll send me, uh, you know, citations from the Bible or whatever. I'm like, you know, and these are people who do not have what I would call great biblical literacy. I'm like, uh, yes, but there's a lot of other crazy stuff that the Bible says that obviously you don't have a problem with, like, you know, like, um, you know, the, you know, commending slavery, right? Mm -hmm. Or violence against women. Like, there's lots of crazy stuff, right? And, and so why are you glomming onto this one thing in particular? And, you know, you're misunderstanding the cultural context and the rest of blah, blah, blah. In terms of the body image thing, I mean, for me, it's, it. you know, I am not trying to perpetuate one ideal body image. Like, this is my journey, right? And I encourage everybody to take their own drink. I started out as a scrawny little kid, right? I'm short, I was weak, I was bullied, the rest of it. And this is something that I did to empower myself. 
Um, I'm never, you know, there are a lot of bodybuilders on Instagram and elsewhere who are huge hulking things. And I'm never going to be like 280 pounds, right? And I'm not seeking to do that, right? That may be, you know, Jeff's side might be, a, you know, like uh, an ideal for some people. And, you know, he's great and everything else. But I'm not going to look like him. And that's okay. You know, I have my own vibe, my own thing that I'm working toward. And I want everybody else to do that too. So, um, you know, I always, I'm very uh, attentive to when people DM me. I always email, I always DM them back, right? Because I, it matters to me that people reach out to me and I try to be, you know, as honest with them as I can and to provide them encouragement for wherever they might be in their fitness journey. Well, like, you know, um, like, so Lee Priest, who's not a, <laughs> he's not a ordained priest, that's his last name. Like, if you look at his body, um, it is interesting that there's always people have a lot of strong opinions about these mass monsters, right? Yeah. They, their their first reaction is like, this is so unhealthy or you're going to die. You know? But that same criticism isn't, or that scrutiny isn't looked at um, other sports like, you know, skydiving, sure. football, mountain climbing, you know, and, and in terms of like injuries per capita, there's, or deaths per capita, you know, high school football is way more dangerous than any bodybuilding could ever be. Right. And, you know, I just say that, you know, for somebody like these really, really big guys, like, yeah. you know, Arnold at his prime or whatever, it's like, that's not my journey, right? Yeah. Like, I admire that. I mean, I know what goes into that. And, you know, I have nothing but, you know, but praise for that. But that's not my particular journey. And so, you know, and I'm also, you know, I'm not 25, right? You see a lot of these guys and they're 18 years old and they're ripped as hell, right? And mm. I'm not, that's not going to be, I'm 51, Right. You, so look, I'm happy. you gotta, I gotta say, you know, if, if someone didn't know you, they may accuse you of, of, uh, juicing or, you know, doing steroids and stuff like that. Cause you are pretty built, you know, for, for somebody who's a, a priest and you're eating, you know, a bread and wine. <laughs> yeah. I don't subsist on only bread and bread wine. And wine but, <laughs> you know, you, you do, you have a pretty phenomenal physique, you know, and, and like, I even like Google the other bodybuilding priests, uh, like Father yeah. Capo. Uh, I don't know uh -huh. if you're familiar with him. He's a, a Catholic priest in there. A lot of them are Catholics for some reason, but like your, your physique is phenomenal. You know, you could, you could step on a stage in eight weeks and place. You know, that's, that's kind of you to say, I've never actually, not, I've never done competition because I think it would like freak, I don't know, it would probably psych me out or something. So I, I don't do it for that, but. Well, I always tell uh, people the competition is, is the people on, on uh, Instagram, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, people that are competing nowadays in bodybuilding competitions. They're doing it for the judges as much as for the people who follow them on social media. Sure. So we have sort of like two different audiences. And I'm kind of curious, like, you know, are you lifting or do you have a factor or, or, or a mindset that you're also lifting for God? I know that's kind um, of an esoteric question there, but. No, it's actually, it's uh, actually, it's not an esoteric question. It is. It's, um, it's a perfectly fair, uh, fair question. Actually, I have a prayer that I say um, before I lift, uh, as I put on my weightlifting gloves, I say, strengthen my body and solo God that may serve you with greater faithfulness. Bless this time of exercise with your life-giving spirit that I may grow stronger in, in your service. And may every rep lifted be performed not for my glory, but for the glory of your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. That's what I say every time I put on my weightlifting gloves. 
That does sound like the bodybuilder's prayer. <laughs> I know it's not like, remarkably similar, right? You, have to, you have to say way men at the end instead of... I'm not saying way men. That's a little over the line for me. But, <laughs> but, I, but I, yeah. do res- I do respect the impulse that it comes, you know, that it comes from. Um, but I, I, but I, do, I do see it as kind of a, a spiritual endeavor, right? It's about you know, strengthening me uh, in body and spirit you know, make me healthier to be able to serve God's people, right? However it is, I do that. And that might be in my church life. It might be in my life as a nonprofit executive. It might be just, you know, meeting people on the street. And, you know, I will say that, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because I'm an extrovert, but people will come up to me in the most random places like Walgreens, on the street, whatever, and talk to me. And I have some of the most amazing conversations in the most random places, sometimes about theological things and sometimes not. Are you wearing like your your priest uh, uniform or no no, no. usually not I mean sometimes there's only one not. father Ethan Jewett and and you know once you know who he is and you see him out about you're like that's him <laughs> you know? I don't usually I don't I'm not usually I don't have that much notoriety I usually don't get that I did have somebody come up to me once and say oh my god it's Jack's priest and there is a story behind that name by the way so. Um, but I just had to laugh. Was it like She-Hulk where the media gave you the name and you had to accept no, it? Actually, or, no, actually, no, it's actually, it's actually a funny story. It's, uh, it's very short, but so I was, uh, leaving church in my priest garb, right? Uh, in a clergy shirt, I was showing up to a gay gamers meetup, picking up a friend uh, to give him a ride home. And I walked in and this guy from one of the gaming tables says, no way, a jacked priest. And that's where <laughs> That was it. That was the story. That was, and then it wasn't until later. I was like, that was super funny, and it just made me laugh so much. Well, do you have? You know, I mean, what do you make of uh, when you hear on the internet like muscle gods and muscle worship? And I imagine that you probably have some people in your congregation that you know have uh, like Indiana Jones with his students. Like they write "I love you" on their <laughs> eyelids, <laughs> sit in the front uh, row, and close their eyes. You know. I have not necessarily had that happen to my yeah. knowledge, but I do get uh, messages on IG and I basically, I, I'm pretty good at boundaries. Uh, and I basically just say, look, dude, I have a boyfriend, please keep it clean. You know? And if they persist then I just block them, but I mm. am pretty, I am pretty, you know, I, I try not to do that, but you know, sometimes people are just like, you know, pretty relentless and it doesn't happen all that often, but most of the time, or they'll say, or they'll say like, Oh, can you send me this or send me that? And I'm like, dude, this isn't grinder or only fans. Okay. So like, no, <laughs> so I just, I draw the line. Like the, this is what it is. Does your and, boyfriend you know, call you daddy or, or father or, or well, just, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> Cause I call but my I husband do, uh, daddy. If, if, uh, we, were tr- we try to have a baby. We we actually were planning on having a baby with my uh, sister and uh, I was going to be the father yeah, of it. No, I was not <laughs> and it didn't work out. Uh, but during the process that, you know, I would just call him daddy and then, and then just kind of stuck, you know, and, and part of it is like, we're all daddies to some degree. We're all leaders. We, to somebody and, you know, being a, a, a good father figure or, or mother figure, a parental figure for somebody means just like, you know, being a good listener and being compassionate and kind and, and like Absolutely. you say, leading by example. Well, you know, and my boyfriend and I have quite a bit of, of mm-hmm. an age spread. And so, you know, and that's, you know, that's not so uncommon in the gay community, right? So he and mm-hmm. I have 22 years of difference between us. And, uh, you know, some people are surprised by that. But I'm like, you know, it, it actually 
makes a lot of sense too, because, you know, sometimes uh, younger guys want somebody who's got his act together, who knows who he is, right? He's stable and mm-hmm. all the rest of it. Um, so, and that's not so shocking really, if you think about it, but is, is he younger than you or older than you? No, he's younger than I am. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I ask him if he calls him daddy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know. Which we the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it, and I imagine, you know, this again, it's like you're, you're in a space that traditionally has eschewed a lot, you know, well, not in always, you know, in the 1980s, there was a televangelist had a thing called the power team. Do you remember this? I don't remember the power team. I mean, I do remember evangelists, uh, televangelists yeah. from the 1980s because I was born in the 70s. Yeah. So, but so they were on, on television and they were sort of dressed up in like wrestling outfits or like, you know, um, Kind of like the, the same, you know, those, they were really popular in the eighties. They were like uh jump track suits or jumpsuits uh-huh. and they would uh, be like, I'm using the Lord's strength to break bend iron bars to break wood, you know? So there was a lot of like martial arts, but a lot of powerlifting okay. and bodybuilding for Jesus. And they sold okay. merchandise that said like, instead of the gold's gym, yeah, it, it was God's gym, and it was a jacked up Jesus uh, benching his cross. Oh, with blood All dripping, right. and it okay, says the, <laughs> the slogan was "His pain is your gain." Gain. That's sacrilegious that, there to is some. So much wrong with that. And I also want to ask: <laughs> yeah. Was God getting the profits from all this merchandising, or what? Well, I, I guess you have to ask uh, every church, like, what do they do with the profits of, of their fundraising? You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's technically, it is fundraising for their ministry, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're rolling your eyes. You're, you're wincing. About I, I'm it. just, uh, I'm just, uh, yeah, I guess I'm just a little bit skeptical in terms of the motives, but, you know. Do so you feel like I, uh, they they were uh, not genuine or or not? There were there was a, a lot of charlatans involved in that. I think it's a fair question. We'll just say that. Okay. I mean, is it hard for you to speak out against hate and bigotry in other faiths? Mm, not really. Okay. You know, honestly, for the most part, I don't I don't really engage it that much because yeah. I just don't find it constructive. First of all, the people that are doing it are mostly trolls they're just looking to like sort of hit and run you know anonymously without any sort of accountability and you know and usually there's there's nothing to be gained you're not going to change their minds and they're just hoping to kind of create some damage Mm -hmm. so i don't generally do that the ones that i really spend the time with are the people who reach out to me and they'll say you know thank you so much for breaking stereotypes or i'm really struggling with my faith and my faith and my religion what do you do with the bible passage that says this or that you know and i spend time with those people because i think that that is a worthwhile to put some effort you know to really help somebody over the hurdle i've had you know i remember there was a conversation i had in a gay bar many years ago before i was ordained and i was talking with somebody um and they were t- telling me about how they had you know grown up i think probably roman catholic or yeah, I think they were Roman Catholic and they had wandered away from the faith because they had decided that institutional religion was garbage and the rest of it. And we had a, a long conversation at the end of it. They were like, gosh, if you had a church, I would totally come. And I said, you know what? I wish I would have met you earlier because I think I would have been able to f- help you find a way forward without abandoning your faith. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I don't think that had to be the outcome. 
right? I wish I would have met you sooner and we could have processed this together. Because I think there, you, were, you made that decision based on a lot of misinformation and a lot of horrible things that people told you that just weren't true. Well, it's interesting because we went to, you know, Mark and I, we hang out with all these kind of bodybuilders and go to all these kind of gyms. Um, and some of them are like really hysterically funny and others are, you know, swing kind of right wing and have this very um, uh, mercenary attitude towards just life in general. Um, and and we've noticed this uh, thread with athletes. They're, they're ve- they tend to swing conservative or very regressive because they feel like they built their body or they their athletic prowess was achieved by them and them only. Not yeah. realizing, you know, the community, the person who taught them, the the the, the person who checked them in at the desk, the person who cleans the gym for them, all those yes. things. You know, the, everybody has a hand in, in building that muscle, and people a lot of times right. they just want to take the credit off for themselves and feed that ego, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is definitely. I mean, there is definitely a temptation towards narcissism and. Uh, you know, and, and certainly with social media, it, it lends itself to that. But, you know, I can I can tell you that, you know, if you've spent really any time, I mean, if you, especially if you started out being kind of weak and scrawny and, you know, bullied and the rest of it, you, you come to it with a certain amount of humility because you know what it took to get you there. Like there were lots of awesome guys that taught me like, you know, let me, let me help you with your, you know, with your form, right? Or let me help you. You know, I'm also a certified personal trainer too. So, um, you know, when I when I started studying for that certification, you know, I had been lifting for a long time, but mm-hmm. there were some things that I definitely needed to unlearn. I'm like, oh man, I don't need to know as much as I thought I knew. And, you know, things I needed to relearn or unlearn, and then things that were brand new to me. And so it was, a, you know, so one of the great achievements of my life, I may not sound like a lot to people who have PhDs and things like that, but for me, I, I was like, you know, I had spent a lot of time investing in this, and I realized only belatedly that that I had a lot to learn and I continue to learn. And there are people that I, you know, there are so many people to whom I credit my success, right? Because they were there, you know, when I was a beginner to help me along the way. And then there were people even later who were, you know, instrumental in helping me to refine, you know, my approach to bodybuilding, right? And my mindset too, right? It's not Um, just about the physical development. Well, you know, um, like uh, it's interesting because for a while there was a there was a trend um, that was like uh, eating for the uh, was it eating inspired by the Bible or the Bible diet plan? <laughs> oh, I'm not familiar with this, and that's probably a good thing. So, <laughs> so it was a, it was a, basically if the bo- if the food was mentioned in the Bible, you could eat it, and um, so it's very you know whole grains or paleo you know lots of uh middle eastern kind of things yeah um but if if it wasn't in the bible you couldn't have it so it's so no a, potatoes <laughs> so well no antibiotics i guess either so yeah. like there were the medicines that were absent in the bible you can't use i guess I, that just seems like so like un, like a unleavened bread um so you couldn't have like um like a you know a slice of toast but you could have like tortillas uh, fish. Oh yeah, because they definitely had tortillas in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't have corn, right? Uh, no, actually, you could have a uh, Matthew's twelve one refers to grain such as wheat or barley, I guess. But okay. Corn, I, I, you know, so I don't know. I mean, part of it is, and there's even like you know, fitness uh, gurus and, and enthusiasts who have like this is the Bible fitness challenge or the Bible weight loss program. 
Okay, so let me just say, <laughs> yeah. like, when when these kinds of things come up, yeah, I just say these are not the sort of theological theological questions that interest me, right? <laughs> like, like I just don't, I don't care. Like, like, I mean, if you want to focus on that, that's fine, but that's not the stuff that interests me. Well, so, it, it, yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of like as as a personal trainer and as a as a priest, like you know, people are saying, "Hey, is this a good idea?" Uh, for me, because I'm passionate about both of those things, as you are, uh, why can't I just combine those two and go to the Bible, you know, boot boot camp workout? Because for, because yeah. the, the because the Bible. Okay, so I'm just going to say this as simply yeah. as I can. Uh -huh. The Bible is a composite work of many different types of texts, right? Yeah. And it was not designed to be, you know, a guide for. Um, bodybuilding or for nutrition, right? It was a description of one people's attempt to, to come to some kind of understanding about their origins and their relationship with God and with each other, right? So, you know, you have legalistic texts, you have poetic texts, you have historical texts. You have, so the, the, the fact that people would approach the Bible with that type of lens anachronistically, I just find to be problematic. Like, you're you're imposing upon it an intention that was never there, right? It was never. It well, was, isn't it was never that like present. all modern problems in politics and you know just regressive behaviors that people are treating this faith as the panacea, as a cure all, and as a guide for every single thing? You know, like f refinancing your mortgage through the Bible. And oh, I mean, you know, know I just yeah, that, that's, that's just. That's nonsensical to me because, yeah. you know, I always ask people when I teach. So when I teach Bible study, uh -huh. right, in my congregations, I always say, you know, I always, I always take an academic approach, right? I take the same approach with them that was taken with me when I was in seminary. And I always, you know, I try to alert people to, you know, their interpretive lenses. You know, what's the agenda here? Like everybody has an agenda or a particular lens, right? Uh, everybody has prejudices, right? Everybody has inherent bias. So, you know, so let's start with that and then look at what kind of text is this? You don't judge a poetic text the same way you would judge uh, a legal text, right? We don't read the dictionary the same way we read a novel, right? right? Right, There are different expectations. There are different rules about whether that's a good text or a bad text or a worthy text or an unworthy text. But we have the, there's this tendency with the Bible to treat it as some kind of other animal, right, that we can't we can't approach it the way we would other texts of human creation. And I just find that problematic because people are trying to uh, attribute motives to it and standards to it that are just unrealistic and unhelpful. Although, you know, part of me is like, sometimes it is uh, f finding things that inspire you and excite you um, and bringing those into the gym can be really helpful. You know, sure. And one example is like, you know, gospel music is great for cardiovascular okay. exercise. You know, uh, does listen to some I, gospel. I would, I would support, I would fully support that. Yes. And I, I, mean, I, I told, uh, I'm, maybe you're familiar with Michael McBride here in Chicago. Uh, he's, uh, you know, involved in spirituality and fitness and stuff like that. And, and he, I said to him, I was like, Michael, I'm giving you this gift. <laughs> Uh, I want you to organize a gospel cardio class on Sundays <laughs> and, and, you know, basically have, you know, getting, you know, cause a lot of uh, car uh, cardio classes, spin classes, 
they play all kinds of, you know, they have a musical theme. They have the Broadway, they have hip hop, sure. pop, you know, and I was thinking that might be a lot of fun and might get people who don't normally want to exercise interested in exercising in this manner because, you know, it gets them out of their seats and into the bikes. And what was yeah, his response? I'm, He's I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he kind of rolled his eyes at me. Well, I think it's, I think it's an, an idea that, that merits greater study. Um, <laughs> I think it could be very useful. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. I remember I went to a, I went to a, a leadership and ministry fair hosted by my diocese. And I said, we should do a mass that uses only EDM. You know, all the music is EDM. And, you know, I, and I looked at, I mean, there was one nun that was in the audience and she elderly nun. And she looked at me, she's like, it sounds to me like it's being in a dance club. I'm like, Yes, exactly. Thank you for understanding. You know, I, I do think that that was something you, know, you were proposing. I was, yes, because yeah. I, because I had been in spaces where I had felt, you know, I'd had some kind of euphoric or very communal type of experience, and it it was resonant with really good experiences that I had in church. And so I thought, you know, maybe we need to be a little more expansive in in how we, you know, imagine or reimagine our worship spaces. Right, so you know, classic hymns from the 19th century might appeal to some people, but it might not appeal to everybody, right? And so there, we might need to rethink, you know, aesthetically, for example, how we try to reach people in worship. And I still, it's, you know, I, I in some ways I'm kind of a, you know, a traditional bells and smells kind of guy, but, you know, I, I am expansive enough in my thinking bells and experience and to know, yeah, bells and smells, <laughs> right? Incense, yeah. bells, you know, full ceremonial, all that. Incense, wine, you know, and candles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, like I had a, um, I was part of a youth group, a uh, uh, LGBT youth group um, when I was 18. That was very formative for me. And um, it was kind of like group therapy for us, right? And, and sort of like navigating a homophobic, a, a transphobic world. And uh, one of the group's organizers said, you know, in terms of sin, what sin is, is separation between the person and God or the divine. Mm -hmm. And so when parents kick their children out for being LGBT, that's in a lot of ways a very strong sin because they're basically separating that person from love. Yeah. And, that's, you know, in terms of like faith and all the stuff that you're talking about, you know, you know, sin or evil is, is, sep is, is, you know, um, is not integral. It is about separating and isolating things and people and ideas that belong together. You know, it's so funny that you bring this up because I was literally just before this at a gay bar with a couple of friends from church, a guy and his boyfriend. And the boyfriend was saying, you know, like, well, what is sin? And I said, well, how, how do you imagine sin? Or how do you actually said, how do you imagine hell? And I said, hell would be separation of the person from God. And it's not something that I think God imposes on other people. I think that happens when people choose to walk away from God. Because if the Bible has taught us anything, it's that God go, always goes in search of those who have wandered away and invites them back into relationship. Yeah. Wants to be in relationship with them, no matter how imperfect they may be. Well, and part of it is like, you know, it's like, I would say, if, you know, 5,000 years into the future, um, you know, these, th these ideas may be, you know, not so separate, you know, like I, sure. I love the, the idea of Fred Rogers is like, you know, you can be incorporate these ideas into your everyday life to the point that they disappear. You know, we don't, we're not necessarily consciousness of the air around us until we're suffocating. 
Yeah. And so, you know, we think we, we want to take air for granted. We want to take these ideas and integrate them into our everyday lives to the point that they're indistinguishable, just like the air around us. Hmm. And so uh, I'm curious to know, like in terms of as a, as a bodybuilder, as a, as a fitness coach, what is, what is, uh, what is sinning when it comes to building muscle or like eating well or right? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I, I would say, yeah. um, I was talking about at the gay bar earlier, I was talking about, you know, what is sin and sin is something, um, unhealthy or damaging that we do to ourselves, to others, or to our relationship with God. So I would say anything that we do as bodybuilders that is harmful to ourselves, um, that does not, um, that does not support the thriving of the individual is potentially sinful. So I am not a super judgy person. I'm not here to pass judgment on what some bodybuilders do. I've always been a natty sort of bodybuilder, but you know, I, I, I had a, I was with somebody for a long time who got into steroids and I'm not here to dump on steroids, but he had a heart attack much younger than I was, had a heart mm-hmm. attack, died on the table. And I'm pretty sure it was because of the steroids. And I feel really sad for him that that happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a source of some grief for me that, that this happened and he got into a very unhealthy lifestyle. Um, you know, I think that when people are trying to attain some kind of ideal body and they're shaming the body that they have, or they're developing body dysmorphia, or they're developing eating disorders because they don't feel that they're good enough. I think that could be potentially sinful, right? Like, you know, it's, so it's, it's harming yourself, but you know, isn't, isn't yourself, all yeah. athletic um, in initiatives come with some kind of risk? I mean, would you say that to a skydiver? It's like, well, you, your parachute might not deploy, so why bother skydiving? That, I, but I don't think, yeah, but I don't think that, you know, the pursuit of skydiving is not, is necessarily self-harming, right? I don't think it if necessarily... If the parachute doesn't destroyed. deploy, it sure is. Well, I mean, I think in any human endeavor worth pursuing, there's some risk. There's yeah. some element of risk, right? Mm. And I think in bodybuilding too, you know, you especially, you know, if it's, if it's some uh, an endeavor where you push yourself beyond your limits, yeah, you're going to you know you're going to run the risk of injury. You're going to run the risk of overtraining. You're going to run the risk of of um, you know uh, not getting enough sleep or you know or not eating well. Like there are a lot of risks, but I think anything worth having is worth working for. And I think that we always have to be mindful when we pursue those things that we have to be. Um, attentive to what is healthy and what is not healthy. What, what's a better way of saying cheat day? I mean, cause I feel like that's too negative and it's like, and it's also in, in plenty, uh, Yeah, like, it is stigmatizing, yeah, is yeah. it? I, I mean, I think, I, I mean, a day of I, I would say a day of bounty, day of abundance. <laughs> yes. Sabbatical. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know that uh, I, first of all, don't, I don't really think about cheat days. I actually think about it more in terms of balance. I think about it in terms of, you know, uh, w- you know, I am here on earth not to guilt trip myself into yeah. um, maintaining a rigid, you know, a rigid discipline. I mean, I am very disciplined, but uh, but it's 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 not a a, a, a guilt ridden thing, right? I mean, I'm here to live a good life. And my discipline as a bodybuilder is part of that, but I also don't deny myself other pleasures, um, like Oreos yeah. and whiskey. 
like Oreos and whiskey. Now, I don't do a lot of Oreos <laughs> and whiskey, but I'm here to tell you. Yeah, but I'm here to tell you that um, you know those. I mean, there is a place for that in the whole system. Well, and, and I guess that's that's part of it is is this idea of like pleasure as being inherently sinful. Yeah, it is, and you know, actually, the word that I that I like best, and one of the things that I think the queer community has to teach the, you know, institutional heteronormative church is is the experience of being joyful. You know, mm. what is it that brings you joy? I don't I don't lift because I feel. Um, low self-esteem or because I feel like I'm supposed to do it and I feel shameful. It's because I, I, I genuinely feel joyful when I do it. I not just enjoy it, but I feel good when I do it. Like my, like I feel uh, enlivened when I do it. And the same is true for church, right? I don't do it because, Oh, I got to do this thing. Cause you know, I went to seminaries and you know, I spent all this money to get ordained and the rest. I do it because I feel joyful. And my goal is to have a joyful life. And that's part of it. Well, because you know, you you came to to your faith and and your career as a priest, sort of after twenty years of not having anything to do with uh, organized That's religion. That's true. And I imagine yes. your friends were like, "Ethan, what are you doing?" Yeah, actually, I did get some of that. I was like, "Explain what the heck this thing is," and I'm like, "Okay, well, let's sit down, have a glass of wine. I'll explain it to you." But yes, um, and people always ask me, you know, why did you decide to become a priest, and at the end of the day, I said, well, because I feel like the best version of myself within the church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, and part of it is you're creating spaces for queer people, both in the gym and in the church and everywhere you go. It's about integration. It's about yes, fighting it evil by taking things that were separated at some point in time and bringing them together. Like yes. the dark, like the, uh, the, the skexis in the dark crystal. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you remember, are you familiar with that movie? That I am. It's a cult class. Oh my God. Those puppets. Um, you know, there, yeah. there is a, like a theological element there that, you know, the, the great sin on that planet was that these, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, divine or very powerful beings were split apart and it was through the sacrifice of these very humble uh, characters. It's very, you know, derivative of the Lord of the Rings, too. Is sure. Through their sacrifice, they were able to bring integration, and that was transcendent and bringing them into an age of enlightenment. Well, I'm going to have to look at that movie with new eyes, crying out loud. That's a lot. Well, and it's, you know, neo-pagan. You know, I always feel like, you know, it, it's a, uh, there's, there's a, what is it? There, as Mr. Rogers says, there's many ways to say I love you. <laughs> and and uh, you know in terms of like these a good idea is a good idea and it's going to transcend culture faith perspectives and ideology yeah. you know and and um and i always say to the world is like people are people are going to are always looking for ideas to take and steal and it's like so might as well put out into the world ideas worth stealing yeah absolutely and i and actually i hope that um what I'm offering is just a different example of how people can integrate their faith into the rest of their identities without feeling shame in doing that. And also feel like bodybuilding doesn't have to be this like winner takes all kind of, you know, situation where you either dedicating yourself 100% to this and therefore everything else, your career, your personal relationships, your spirituality, your, you know, connection, what is spirituality, your connection to the world around you, the, uh, the air, the, the unseen, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. most powerful things in the world, in our lives, are things that we can't necessarily see or measure or touch. Well, that'll preach, as they say in the black church. Yes. Yeah. Can I get an amen up in here? <laughs> amen. But, you know, but all this stuff, it don't put muscle on the biceps. Or no, does but, it? You know, but, the, you know, the thing is about it, though, if yeah. you're going to be a lifelong bodybuilder, it has to be sustainable. And, you know, if you, I mean, for example, if you can only go so far on shame and fear. You can only go so far by denying your body certain pleasures, right? So, I mean, one of the things that they taught me when I was trained for, uh, uh, as a uh, personal trainer was that, you know, was that, you know, there is a limit to self-control, right? It, it's like, a, you know, you can only, you, you have sort of a supply of it and once you use it up, it's gone, right? And you have to kind of meet it out incrementally so that it's sustainable, right? If you didn't, that's why, that's why um, fad diets don't tend to work, right? It's because people do it, do it, do it, and then they, and then they, you know, they just can't sustain anymore because it's so draconian, right? And then they put all the way back on because it's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable model. Well, isn't that the same uh, argument you can make against cutting or bulking? It's like it's 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 a temporary change, but it is a temporary. Yeah. I mean, well, it depends on how you do it. One, right? And secondly, it depends. You know, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. There's always this understanding that it's not a forever sort of thing. It's a seasonal thing. Right. And most people can deal with something for a season. Right. And, you know, to be fair, I mean, not everybody can maintain that to the same degree. Uh, I mean, even when I cut, I'm not as, you know, as harsh and draconian as some people are. And I think, oh my gosh, like I'm never going to have like a 12 pack like that. And you know what? I'm really okay with that. I really am. As long as your uh, biceps are slowly tearing the sleeves of your priests collared shirts and well you know. you know we all have our virtues and we all have <laughs> our vices so you know you know we all have our things so i i've been fortunate in some areas you know if i could get my legs as big as that i would be so happy but you know we all have our problem areas so what's your what's your uh like split routine right now so i do it i mm-hmm. generally do a, a a pretty i know a lot of people do push pull and that sort of thing i you know i've tried that i tend to just you know go back to the, you know, typical Arnold split. I do, uh, buys, tries and delts. I do, uh, legs and then I do chest and back and then I do abs, you know, like every other day. So you're starting your week with an arm workout. Um, no, actually I just do what I do generally is I do three days on and a day off three days on day off. I was doing six days on and a rest day. And I just found like, I don't know if it's my age or something, but it wasn't enough rest for me. And I was feeling overtrained. And I could tell like in my sleep and the rest of it that I just wasn't making the gains. So I was just like, you know, I, I may just need to do three on and one off, three on and one off. And that's been w- working better for me. How does uh, feeling overtrained feel for you? Oh, um, definitely feels like I'm tired. I feel really sore. I mean, I have, you know, muscle fatigue. I've got, um, I don't sleep well and I'm irritable. Mm. So, and I know I'm like, okay, I'm feeling overtrained. Yeah. Okay. So when you're doing I mean, on that day off, like, uh, are you, you know, going for long walks? Or are you just like napping more? Or what, what are you doing with the time that you're not in the gym that you uh, normally You would? know, I don't really nap very well. I wish I did. I know people can like sleep standing up and I wish I could do that, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really varies. Uh, I don't, I don't lift. Sometimes I might, uh, bike. Uh, I, you know, I walk a lot anyway. I do tend to walk a lot. I live in Center City, Philadelphia. I have to walk 20 minutes to the gym. Um, so, 
Um, so it really varies. I, I, I've been basically just go with how I'm feeling. I tend to be pretty attuned to my body. And if I feel like just vegging, I just veg. Mm -hmm, I do mm -hmm. feel a little, I don't want to say guilty isn't the right word, but more like longingly, like I really wish I could go to the gym, but I can't, I have to make myself take a rest day. Mm. Well, you know, and honor thy Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sabbaticals are hard to take sometimes. You know, it's hard when we're go, go, go. Um, well, I mean, that's also like part of the just, you know, Western capitalistic. Yeah, I know. And I and I tend to be like that. You know, I I tend to be like I said, you know, I have ADHD, so I'm always like hyperactive and like I need. It was very interesting to me just as a kind of little footnote. When I was working in the Equinox uh, gym in uh, Lincoln Park in Chicago, I was surprised, um, but also uh, affirmed to find out that a lot of the trainers I worked with also had ADHD. It made perfect sense. Like all these hyperactive people ended up doing, you know, physical activity as a day job, right? Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, some of the most successful bodybuilders all and, and doing this podcast. I mean, you guys, the audience who's listening, you know, you guys can <laughs> attest to this. They all begin with this like crisis. You know, this is like great calamity, this this horrible thing that happens to them that sort of uh, launches them in this new direction. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them, you know, wanted to be a professional football player and they have a like a debilitating injury that keeps them off the sport. And so yeah. they're like now, you know, I mean, that's Chris Bumstead, one of the most famous bodybuilders, to my understanding. You know, a lot of these guys, they just have this like drive that's almost self-destructive to some degree. And so they're harnessing this self-destructive power into creating something that's productive to some degree. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But, you know, like, I can't, I, I pretty much once a week, I get a, a concern from a family member or a close friend or someone who loves me or someone just I know, and they're like, don't you think you're overdoing it? Aren't you worried about getting injured? Aren't you worried about getting too big? Or getting too big, and I'm like, oh, oh my God, yeah. you're getting too big. Oh, please stop. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm just kind of like, it, 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 it's, it's interesting that we have sort of this internalized negative association with the body, and bodybuilding, and in a lot of ways, is a very sensual and erotic thing because we're augmenting the body itself. Yeah, I mean, it's an aesthetics thing for sure. Yeah. And yeah. so you see somebody who has this, you know, magnificent, large muscular physique and, you know, I've, I, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a very interesting space because it definitely blurs the lines between gender and sexual experience and orientation. And so Say more about that straight guys, Say you know, who wouldn't, they're like, I'd go gay for Chris Bumstead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they would like, I, I will do anything sexually if Chris Bumstead asked me to do it. You know, there, there, there is this like, um, ex, you know, experience that they're so into building muscle that they sort of like, they, they become more comfortable. And this is what we talk about integration, right? It's yeah. that we're all human beings in this, you know, small, delicate little marble of an earth. And, and, um, we share more in common with each other than we share not in common. And so I, mean, can, I think there's mm -hmm. all, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was ahead. just going to say, I, I think, I think you're right. I, I yeah. thought about it this way before, but I think it is kind of this, this, this shared appreciation for the ideal, right? Whatever yeah. that physique, you know, the, the closer that physique sort of matches the ideal. And so even straight guys can be like, that's amazing. 
you know, mm. the admiration for it. Well, and there's so much fear about, you know, saying, and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger said this himself. He said, bodybuilding is being destroyed by homophobia um, because men are so worried about being seen as beautiful that they sort of push themselves into being grotesque in order to not be sexualized or uh, idealized in that manner. But do you have, do you find you have a, an issue with that, that people automatically make it a sexualized thing when it's not necessarily like it's an athletic thing? Well, you know, I, I'm all about uh, whatever motivates you and, you know, like and, and healthy boundaries too. Right. So it's like, right. You know, are we talking about like someone drawing uh, sexual energy towards me that I don't want? Mm. Then you say we don't have that kind of relationship. And, you know, you and know? personal trainers often, you know, talking to their clients, you hear stories of people just say, hey, I just want to look better naked. Well, you know, that's sexual, in you know, in many ways. Yeah. Right. Sure. Well, and, and part of it is what is sex? What is sexual? It's pleasure. Mm. And it's about celebrating your body and it's about bodies coming together. And, you know, if we want to really sort of like create that, uh, you know, change people's perceptions and, you know, heal the, the, the cosmic separation, you know, fight evil, uh, then we have to start to ha have a conversation about uh, embracing and celebrating sexuality and the body. And, you know, more bodybuilders share in common with, you know, transgender people than they do not. That's to me, probably it's, true. And it's so heartbreaking when I see like trans people eschewing bodybuilders or bodybuilders eschewing trans people. And I'm just like, you guys like united, you'd be changing the world for a better place. And instead you're just like, you know, we don't want trans women competing in sports. And I'm just like, okay, so that two people that competed last year yeah. are being <laughs> yeah. banned. Right. You know, uh, as if as if it's even a problem. You know, it's funny. I actually had a trans man uh, reach out to me today yeah. asking if I would train uh, train them, and I just don't have the time to do it. But, um, but you know that you're right. That does open up a whole other, you know, a whole other um, issue of you know what constitutes you know masculinity, what you know what constitutes sexuality, what constitutes identity, right? Because things are fluid, and I, I think that there. Are, there are probably people that are probably more synchronous than they realize. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, and, and one thing that I, when I do a bodybuilding consultation or coaching for people, um, I'm always like, you know, flex practice flexing in a mirror. Um, Cause you're, you're sending signals to your body to, you know, your body is there. Use it. You know, the other thing that I would say too, and I had to get used to this, I don't know if you're the same, um, yeah. but I had to get comfortable. I had to learn to get comfortable flexing in public, like in a gym, in front of other people, even taking my shirt off and doing that and not being like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, I mean, you have a, it's easy for you to feel comfortable because you have a phenomenal body. But it's not about that. It's more about the fact that it's somehow transgressive, you know, that we are in a public space and you're doing this thing that people don't nor ordinarily do. Like some people will do it in the locker room, but they won't necessarily do it out on the gym floor, you know, mm -hmm. unless some, you're going to, unless mm -hmm. you're going to a bodybuilding gym, right? Yeah. Like if you're going to LA fitness or planet fitness or something like that, that's considered very transgressive. Mm -hmm. And I had to get, I found that I've gotten more, 
more comfortable doing that. Like, there's nothing wrong with this. This is, this is my own vibe, you know? And, and a lot of bodybuilding gyms will have an actual room set aside just for posing because they know people are there, you know, because they're probably working for a competition. They want to check out sure. where they're looking. They want it. They need space to do it. They want a mirror in the background and the front ground and some privacy. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. Um, you know, can I get an amen up in here? <laughs> amen for me, bro. Amen. Uh, Reverend Ethan Alexander Jewett, you are a delight, uh, both on, you know, on a spiritual level and definitely on the eyes. And I love that you're just like inspiring and helping other people live their best lives possible. Oh, thanks so much. It's been a great pleasure talking with both of you. Um, if people you. want to get a hold of you, you are in uh, in Center City, Philadelphia. I am. I am. Yes. And they can follow you and message, uh, send send their uh, uh, nude photos to Jack Priest <laughs> <laughs> at Jack Priest on Instagram. Yes, please don't send me nude photos, but feel free to send me your DMs. Uh, but but you know, in a, in a in, be respectful. This is a, you're talking to a priest, people. I'm still a priest. I'm still a priest. I can't <laughs> emphasize that enough. Well, uh, and, and are you going to be uh, training anybody in the future or is it like your, uh, you know, coach and training um, days are sort of like put aside for now? Uh, you know, I, I have to say, I really do miss training clients. I would love to train a few clients. Uh, I'm, you know, a new nonprofit CEO here in Philly. I was in Chicago too, but I'm here in Philly and I'll start a new church job, hopefully at the end of November. Shoot. But I would like to carve out some space for at least a few clients, because uh, I do sorely miss it, and I love doing it. So, How do you find the time to like meal prep? You have like two jobs. You're ministering yeah, to a congregation. It's, I know. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, just doing meal prep. Yeah, I know yesterday I was, uh, Saturday I was chopping vegetables, you know, for salads and whatever. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to raid your fridge if I ever in Center City. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Yes. And we're uh, we're going to uh, share on on the comments and the 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 recipe uh, for the Catholic priests jacked up protein rich pancake breakfast. <laughs> All right, I will I will check that out and write a review. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Thank you so oh. much, Father Jewett. Oh, thank you. Of course. Bye bye. Bye. The Reverend Ethan Alexander Jewett lives in Center City, Philadelphia. Mm. You can follow him on Instagram, Jacked Priest. Yeah. That's a good Instagram handle, that's for sure. It is very like, you know, because we've been watching She-Hulk <laughs> mm -hmm. on Disney Plus. Yes. And it is interesting, this is like muscular lawyer, you know? And he's kind of like, you know, he's ripping out of that 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 priest outfit doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> he needs to get it made out of uh, four-way stretch. And that 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 collar is just like pop again. More more four-way stretch. You know, and I'm sure somebody's asked him to like you know. I'm sure to to flex to get the collar to pop off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting, you know, like in talking to a lot of bodybuilders, like going to the gym can be a very uh, spiritual experience. Mm. And even like talking to people who are like you know cutting out carbs. Mm -hmm. They feel like they're they're like a ghost. Well, it's you know it's yeah. settle, it settles the mind, right? Yeah, but you know, like, what is your mind? What is your consciousness? What is your soul? As as Lisa Simpson says, mm -hmm. is is that part of you that is uh, tied to the world around you? Mm -hmm. And so, by being in tied to your body, by eating the foods that you need to exist and and to thrive, 
um, you know, you can do a lot to feel more connected to the world around you. For sure. And, you know, when I look at somebody like our dog, Jesse, who's a German Shepherd mix and, you know, a happy dog, a dog with a good emotional uh, health and brain is a tired dog. <laughs> is a dog who gets a lot of exercise, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and if they're tired, they're just they just feel better in yeah. some senses. You know, they're more sedate and a dog that doesn't have enough exercise you know, they're anxious, they get into things, they tear things apart, they have a lot of behavioral problems. And so I feel like, you know, a lot of those self-destructive behaviors I, I've, I have or are prone to, a lot of that has been, you know, um, not as bad because I am working out and, you know, I'm just I'm just too tired to kick ass and and, uh, and party. <laughs> well, yeah, like I was, uh, you know, hanging out with his other bodybuilders at a, at a nightclub last night. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm very like I'm like Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> to some degree, you know, it's just like, and my father used to call me Pinocchio when I was a kid. Like Pinocchio. I looked like Pinocchio when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah. You know, these big blue eyes and that swooping. You're very stiff and wooden. Stiff and wooden. And, uh, you know, they're like. You lie, your nose grows. And that's not the only part that grows. But, <laughs> but you know, so they're out, they're out, you know, having a good time and stuff. And we're talking about bodybuilding and, you know, just like, you know, reading the right foods and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And then they start all pulling out like, you know, drugs <laughs> and part of me, you know, like in the, in the past, I'd be like, sure, I'll, I'll do a line of Coke with you or whatever. But, you know, I was just like, I'm putting so much energy and, and effort into, you know, making these changes and growth. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was, it was just like looking at, a, and at work, there was all these bags of chips and greasy and salty and sugary foods it shifts your mind when you have goals you're like is this part of my goal is this where i want to be and if this is not part of it i don't want any part of it but i also believe in harm reduction yeah, it's like sure. you know so part uh, of it is like i don't want to call it a cheat day but it's like a day of abundance a day of abundance if, if snorting cocaine <laughs> fits your macros <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's uh, why you know it, a lot yeah. of bodybuilders don't drink, but they'll do something like GHB because yeah. like, it's it's not going to have that calorie kind of thing. But you know, you can G out. So uh, protein pancakes. Now, Mark, you 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 are Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Yes. What what is the role of pancakes in Catholic religion and faith? Well, it's usually used as a fundraiser. And and why do they raise funds with because pancakes? Because they're, they're inexpensive to make, and so it's something that you can have like after mass. And it's also uh, compatible with Lent, yes, right? So Where it's, there's, there's no, it's a meat-free food. Yes, yes. Well, we they'd have fish fries on Fridays. Okay. So sometimes we would go there to 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 the school cafeteria and eat eat fish that was fried. Um, but pancakes, know, uh, do they get eaten in at night or in the day? Or? It's usually a pancake breakfast. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. So you would go there and. Um, have pancakes. What do you think about pa protein pancakes in general? We've tried all, we're going to post all the recipes on our website, mm -hmm. feastoffun.com. Mm -hmm. So I want to post Chris Bumstead's uh, protein banana pancakes. Um, f uh, what can we A lot of them is because yeah. there's, there's some, you know, because they are made with protein powder and, you know, you put a little sugar in there and stuff. Uh, they have, they can, they can, they can burn easily. So you yeah. have to be very careful. Uh, of 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 not having them burn, and usually it's it's uh, oats, it's eggs, banana, and whey protein. Mm -hmm. It's usually like the the traditional 
That's what like uh, Chris Bum says. Yeah. Pancake breakfast, and, and some is, have yeah. like a little bit of flour in there, yeah. or a little bit of almond flour, or coconut flour, even, uh, uh, or cornmeal. Some, you know, you can just kind of mix it up, little variety. Um, then there's uh, then Father James, the the Catholic priest from Canada, who shared with us his his uh, protein pancakes was uh, cottage cheese rich. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and tell 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 the listeners well, about so that you, recipe. Either people yeah. use like uh, cottage cheese or they use protein powder. So you're having that casein, right? Uh, and that because cottage cheese is rich in casein. Yes, because well, it's a cheese and casein. It's a slow case, digesting queso. queso. Spanish, oh, yeah. I did. You know, the first time I learned that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Casein. You learn all kinds of things on this podcast. <laughs> uh, so so it, it was a. Uh, it, it's rich in slow digesting. Protein, mm-hmm. which is good in some degrees, well, right? Because it's starting out in your day, so it'll it'll last several hours. It's not going to burn out. So you might have that protein pancakes. Yeah. Uh, it'll probably keep you filled up for a while. But also, too, you know, you know, protein pancakes are just part of a balanced breakfast, right? It's not like your whole. You're not going to get everything you need from that. You might also be eating eggs with it as well. So it's pancakes, eggs. But you know, like uh, a lot of these bodybuilders, there and there's this there's mindset of like. Just make regular pancakes, people. Don't, you know, get get your carbs and your proteins from sources of food. Don't try to make, like, a carb-rich food be protein-rich because you're just never going to It's never going to be happy. satisfying the way you want it to be. Yeah. Well, that's why and you also, listen to Let's Grow Big Together. And sometimes, too, it's like well, a couple yeah. of those recipes, I didn't really like how they were as a pancake, so I, I made them in the waffle iron, and they turned out okay. Much better. And then other yeah. ones were just like, okay, I put it in the waffle iron. Now I can't get it out of the waffle iron. So here's my solution to that. What's that? So part of it is like where where the, a lot of these protein pancakes are very rich in uh, they're inside they're they're using oats and oat flour can get rubbery. Mm. Um, the reason we like pancakes is because of it's cake like, um, and one um, you know one very delicious uh, pancake traditional pancake recipe is cornmeal pancakes. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the flapjacks. And, uh, so I developed one that was, uh, that used cornmeal and then, um, 50%, you know, whole wheat f- flour or, or white flour. And the other 50% usually coconut or almond flour or a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. And then using uh, Greek yogurt or just regular whole yogurt and, um, vinegar to create a very cake like but protein rich pancake. Now adding vinegar. a scoop of whey protein also increases the, the, the protein ratio, but um, you know, it, it's about sort of like making something and taste as cake like as possible, but increasing the protein quality of it. And then just serving it with a, you know, a couple of uh, soft scrambled eggs and egg whites can really give you a very rich protein breakfast. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of, you know, just throwing some uh, Greek or whole yogurt, on top of your pancakes, uh, and, and people are very like, um, don't realize that maple syrup, because it's so rich in flavor, can a little goes a long way. Mm. And so you can put a teaspoon of, of maple syrup on your pancakes, and that's going to have a lot more flavor. It's going to give you that traditional pancake flavor. Mm. So we're posting these recipes on feastofun.com. It's available to our premium subscribers only, but we're also putting, posting the, um, the, 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 the daddy of them all, the, the cornmeal protein pancakes recipe on the notes. So you just scroll down and you can see those and, you know, try them out. Let them know. Do you like it? Do you think it's stupid? 
<laughs> You're like, I just rather get just eggs, Fausto. Shut up. Let me let me just get eggs. I just my typical breakfast is uh, is four soft boiled eggs. Uh, you don't eat all the yolks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, half cup of oatmeal with blueberries and um, what else? Coffee. Yeah. Remember, let's grow big together. Is a production of Feast of Fun. You can access thousands of legendary podcasts through our website, feastoffun.com slash plus, where you can dive deep into our archives and listen to all kinds of shows commercial free. Because mm-hmm. ads, you know, ads are annoying. They get tedious. They, they get don't tedious. Really pay the bills. Yeah, they're like, do you like Squarespace? You, and I'm just like, shut up, Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go suck an egg. You know, uh, no, it, a it, part of it, rich egg. a protein rich egg. You know, listen, uh, you know, th- th- we appreciate the the money from the ads, but you know, really, it's your subscription dollars that makes this podcast possible. So, mm. if you like, let's grow big together. Consider becoming a member, feastoffun.com slash plus, or hiring me uh, to be your coach just for an hour. Mm -hmm. So we meet one-on-one over the phone, and we talk about what you've been doing so far, and I answer all your questions to the best of my abilities as truthful as I can. And you've gotten great feedback. Anybody who's taken your service so far. Five out of five stars. Really appreciate it. Net promoter score, 110%. That's all right. Yeah, they, they love it. You know, part of it is like, I feel, having worked with a lot of coaches, they don't have a lot of customer service in the background, not a lot of compassion. Um, and, you know, what we're talking about is like really, you know, motivating you and inspiring you and giving you the tools to take your muscle building goals to the next level. And maybe you're just getting started or you've been lifting for a long time. You know, it's like I got a lot of useful, practical information, apps that you can use, uh, tools you can use to, to making changes that are really going to get you to the next level, to, to building the body of your dreams. Because, honey, you got one life to live here so far. Unless you believe in reincarnation. Yes. But you said to me like the other day, it's like, maybe we reincarnate as a muscle god in your next life. I was like, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? You could come back as somebody. I'll be back as Chris Bumstead. Ooh. But he will be, what he's going to reincarnate us. I want something even bigger. Jimmy Cricket. Aw. Ah, Pinocchio, you got to look. <laughs> Shut up, Jimmy. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye.